Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that this message is going to be an encouragement to you personally and will cause great growth in your life. It's time to live and it's time to take this next step forward. God bless you as you listen. Hey, so, so when you hear the word heaven, what do you picture in your mind? What, what comes to mind there? I mean, most likely it's images from uh, possibly like a childhood storybook about heaven, maybe a documentary or a movie or mental images that you've kind of conjured up based upon scriptures that you've read or, or sermons that you've heard. But, but, but real, for real, what is heaven like? Well, the truth is the totality of heaven is certainly it is most certainly much more magnificent than anything that you can conjure up in your mind. And so what I like to do is I like to go to the reliable source, which is the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God. And from there, we develop our opinions about heaven. And, you know, one of the big questions that people ask is, is like, what is, what's heaven like? And, and I'll give you an honest answer here. I don't know for certain. I don't. Um, you know, that's an honest answer. Now, there are a lot of clues from the scriptures, uh, but they only tell part of the story. I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He says that what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That pretty much sums it up. In fact, there are a lot of prophecies in the Bible about heaven, but God never reveals everything through prophecy. He doesn't. Um, and, and we also have a lot of wrong images about heaven that, that are like, aren't, aren't even in the scriptures, but they're just in our head. Like, like one, I, I was looking at pictures of heaven the other day, and every picture of heaven is like three quarters of it is billowing clouds. It looks like this big storm or something like that. There's nothing in the scriptures that even talks about clouds in heaven, all right? And then there are pictures of puffy little midget angels that are going around with these little harps. I mean, and, and, and then there's... And, and a lot of them have a stairway that leads to heaven. And it's like, that's a Led Zeppelin song. That, that, that's, that's, not, that's not there, you know? There's no stairway. Just to tell you, there is no stairway that you're going to have to climb to go up to heaven where you hang out with two-foot angels and that are playing harps. I, I'm kind of happy about that because all of that is very, very weird. <laughs> and I'm scared of heights, so I don't want to walk up that stairway that never has railings. You know, I, I'll, none of them had railings. But in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, John, he gives this description of what he saw. Take a look at this. He said, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it, and nothing impure will ever enter it, nothing, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, that scripture right there is a good starting place. But you see, 
But the authors of these scriptures, they were given brief little glimpses uh, into heaven. They, no, one, no one actually saw everything or experienced everything. It, it, it's kind of like this. Let's say you were from another time and another place, and you were just dropped into Fort Worth in the year 2019. Uh, and, and you were able to kind of like see little video clips or images, and then you had to go back and explain what you saw. Well, let's hear from... Oh, 15, 16 different people. Let's see what they would say. Now, one would say, Fort Worth is a city of stone where water flows down steps into deep pools where people walk and enjoy. Another would say, oh no, Fort Worth is a place where cattle with huge horns roam the city streets. Another would say, wait, 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 Fort Worth is a place of lush green grass and sparkling crystal clear blue water. What a joke. Another would say, Fort Worth is a sparkling city of lights and green trees and shining red roads and, and has a castle with a clock at the top in the center of the city. Someone else would say, Fort Worth is a place of humble cottages with stone paths. Another would say, oh, Fort Worth is a place where they have these massive snake-like machines with glowing orange eyes that rapidly transport people to other parts of the city. Someone else would say, oh, wait a minute, no. Fort Worth is a place where they have black and white chariots with no horses on them, and they rush around town maintaining justice and order. And another person would say, hey, wait a minute, no. Fort Worth is just a place where people sit and stand for hours applauding and cheering while men strike unbreakable eggs with iron rods. You know, someone else would say, wait, no, no, Fort Worth is a place where crowds cheer people that are wearing purple costumes and, and helmets as they violently assault each other. Someone else would say, no, wait, no, Fort Worth is a place where people dress in purple and they laud uh, land-dwelling reptiles. Another would say, nah, Fort Worth is a place where angry birds thunderously Scream across the sky, shaking the city. Another would say, yeah, Fort Worth, no. It's a place of huge towers, brown grass, where they decorate dead trees. <laughs> now think about it. Is all of that accurate? Yes. Yeah. Does any of it conflict? No. But that's from the perspective of someone who is dropped in. You see? Does any of this, though, give you a thorough and complete description of our city? No, because city life is not in any of those pictures, right? No, but come on, it's not. I mean, you, you just looking at those and hearing those descriptions, the truth is you've not even scratched the surface about what Fort, Fort Worth is about, right? Same with heaven. Basically, that's kind of like what these eyewitnesses of heaven saw, and, and, and they, they wrote it down, and what we do is we try to put it together the best we can, but it is far, far, far insufficient to explain the magnitude of heaven. But the writings are amazing. I mean, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he talks about the foundation of the whole thing, of, of heaven. He, you know, he, says, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So, so the, the beauty of that is heaven is really our home. This earth isn't our home, friends. It's not. And, and Jesus is in full control there and we're going to have these new spiritual bodies like Jesus himself and that, my friends, is going to be amazing. I've actually always defined heaven like this. This has kind of been my working definition of heaven, my personal definition. It's, it's, a, it's a place prepared by God for his people who have prepared to go. That's my definition. In other words, it's for you. It's for me. It's for anyone who makes the choice to follow Jesus Christ. But I know there are a lot of questions about heaven and, and, and you know, one of the other questions is like, does God actually dwell in heaven? And he, here's the answer on that because you hear different things. Like the truth is, it's like the answer is yes and no. See, the Father and Jesus dwell in heaven right now but the Holy Spirit doesn't. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Just like we read a moment ago, it says Jesus is actually in heaven right now and the Holy Spirit is in us right now. And here's the cool thing about what the Holy Spirit does because the Holy Spirit is in us. The, the scriptures tell us that he gives us a deposit of heaven in our hearts. So sometimes when you feel the presence of God and you sense the peace of God, you're like, oh, you feel something sweeping over you. You're just getting a tiny little deposit, a glimpse of eternity. And that's the beauty of it. The Father, yeah, he's in heaven. And he's with Jesus. Psalm chapter 103, verse 19 says this. It says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. In fact, when Jesus was even teaching his followers on how to pray, we were supposed to pray at the very beginning, our Father in where? Heaven, heaven. Is that, where's heaven? I mean, again, like, it, is it in the clouds? I mean, again, based upon all the imagery, you would definitely think there. It's, it's kind of like up there in the clouds. You get on top of them and you don't fall through. But I remember the first time I rode in an airplane through the clouds and I didn't see heaven and the clouds were really, really bumpy. And, and my, my, my parents said, it's okay. We're just going through the clouds. They're bumpy. But I thought they were fluffy and it was happy up here. Oh, no, it's not. So that kind of just blew that idea whole out, out, completely out of my brain. Um, so, but let's consider the real question. Is heaven in the sky? Answer is yes. But not forever. Now, I didn't say in the clouds. It, it, it's, it's literally up there, okay? And when Jesus returns, what we often call the rapture of the church, when Jesus returns to take us out of this earth before the earth collapses into self-destruction, we will literally rise to meet him. Here is the one place clouds are mentioned in the clouds, all right? But, and then he will take us to heaven. But heaven isn't forever going to be in the sky. That's where a lot of people don't, don't, don't get it. I want to just give you a little glimpse of this. See, there's going, after this period of time where there's going to be this thousand years of peace known as the millennium, and after the judgments, the heavenly city will literally be on a recreated, perfect earth. Yeah. So the question is, so is Jesus preparing that for us? Is Jesus preparing heaven? Well, the answer to that is yes. If you look now in your Bibles in John chapter 14, verse 2, this is the key passage for today. I want you to see this uh, because as you're getting your place there, this is something you need to have marked in your Bibles because heaven itself has always been around, but the portion 
that we are going to inhabit hasn't always been around. So when Jesus left his followers and he ascended up into heaven, he went there to prepare a place for us. And Jesus is a carpenter after all, right? Take a look at what he told his disciples in John chapter 14, verse two. He says, my father's house, also known as heaven, has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. In other words, he's building your mansion, for lack of a better term, right now. And where you're going to be living is going to be far better than you can expect or imagine. You can't really conjure it up. Um, and once he gets it finished... He's coming back to get you, to take you there with him. Now, I know sometimes people will say, well, is that New Jerusalem? And there's sometimes confusion between heaven and New Jerusalem. If you've hung around church for any length of time, you may have had that question. Well, is heaven really New Jerusalem? And my answer to that is eventually. Now, let me explain something to you. Today's uh, uh, Jerusalem, the Jerusalem of, of today, it's the center of the Judeo-Christian faith. It's where the temple once was, and, uh, and it's where the temple is going to be rebuilt at the very end of time just before Jesus returns. But there's actually going to be a new Jerusalem that will be the headquarters of God's future uh, kingdom. And, and, and all of the biblical descriptions of New Jerusalem and the descriptions of heaven, they match up perfectly. You see, the Apostle John wrote this about his vision in Revelation chapter 21, verse 10. Take a look at this. It says, and he, the Spirit, he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem, this would be the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear, as crystal. And that's going to be where we're going to live someday. And that is heaven. In fact, Revelation chapter 21, you need to read this whole chapter yourself. It starts off with describing it. Look at this. Revelation chapter 20, uh, 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You see a, a lady on wedding day, you know, and just decked out. Well, that's, that's the imagery of what this city was going to be. It's just breathtaking. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. He will be, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And look at this, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new then he said, write these down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. Now, what we have now, let's just say Fort Worth, Texas, is nothing in comparison 
to what's coming our way. Um, what we experience in our day-to-day life, even the greatest thrills, it's nothing compared to what heaven will be like. It's a perfect life like we can't understand. You know, it's interesting. Um, the Bible starts off with the world in perfection. It was a perfect life. Genesis chapters one and two is a perfect life in the garden. But do you realize that 99% of the Bible talks about how God's plan for the perfect life was thwarted through sin and how God's plan was then renewed through Jesus Christ? But then the Bible finally ends the very last two chapters, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, where again, it's perfect life, except it's perfect life in a city. Think about it. We go from perfect life in a garden to perfect life in a city. See, when God completes his restoration of all things, it's no longer rural. It's urban. What's the difference between a city and a garden? Well, a city's advanced and it's complex and it's interconnected. You see, part of that, we even begin to see the nature of God because God always wants to move things forward. God loves progress. That's God's plan, a beautiful, perfect city created by Jesus himself. And in this city, there will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. No terrorism. No bombings. There's no racism. There are no funerals. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There are no broken down cars. There's no hatred. There's no lost jobs. There are no bills, thank God. There's also no anxiety. And there's no depression. And there's no fear. It's a perfect city designed by the master carpenter, Jesus. And it's for those who have prepared their hearts by allowing Christ to forgive them. People who have made the choice to simply live. Yet I know there are some people who will say, well, heaven isn't a real place. Heaven's just a state of mind. You know, it's like this state of being. And, and so, you know, let's just toss out that question. Is it really heaven a state of mind? <laughs> well, my answer is uh, no. And no, no, not at all. In fact, please understand this. There are absolutely no scriptures that point to this. In fact, what's funny, the Bible actually says something quite the opposite. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, regarding eternity, he says this. He said, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we of all people most, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, what he's saying here is we are all actually pretty big losers if heaven is just a state of mind. This is ridiculous. Why are we even doing this, right? So, is heaven a real place? Is it? Absolutely, it is. It's a real, legitimate city. The writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14. He said, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. In other words, Fort Worth, as much as we love this place, it's not an enduring city, heaven is. 
So how do you get to heaven? Well, I think that's actually the most important question you get asked because it's, it's really simple. It's by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and asking him to forgive your sin and living for him and it's serving him. In fact, when a follower of Jesus Christ dies, we actually celebrate. Even though we're gonna miss the person, even though there's a void, even though there's a loss, we celebrate. Because through Jesus, physical death is like falling asleep because you're eventually alive. Yeah, actually, you're, you're eternally alive in Christ. And um, I don't understand every little detail about what happens after this life, but I do know and I do believe what the Bible actually says. It says that when a, when a person is in right relationship with Jesus, when they leave their earthly body, it's best described as falling asleep. And then they will be awakened at the right time when Jesus is ready to come and take us out of this world. He takes us, that's often called the rapture, and he takes us to what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. In other words, it's the beginning of the celebration of heaven. Paul tells us this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. Love this. In fact, this, this scripture is one of my favorite scriptures to read in funerals and in memorial services. It says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then we enter heaven. You see, we will be there with all the people that are loved by Jesus, that Jesus died for. All of those people, everyone in heaven was offered the free gift of salvation and they accepted that gift for eternal life. At the same time here on this earth, Satan continues to deceive. He tells people, well, you're not worthy of that. You're not good enough for any of this stuff that Jesus has prepared for you. you, you you've sinned too much. Or maybe he, he makes people think that, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to end up being really weird and, and you're not going to have any fun in life. See, here's the deal. I'll just call it out. Satan will do everything he can in his power to prevent people from accepting Christ because he wants destruction. Therefore, you and I, we have a duty. And that duty is to let as many people know about Jesus as possible. In fact, that's what this church is about. We like to say our purpose around here is making Jesus known. And that's because Jesus is the center of everything that we do. I mean, why do we have these services? It's to make Jesus known. Why do we equip people to make a difference on their cultural street? It's to make Jesus known. Because without Jesus, we're all doomed, guys. There, there is no hope, and heaven is just a distant fantasy. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. What this means is if you spend your life working hard for sin, 
or serving yourself, only looking out for number one, consumed with sin, you will receive your wages. Uh, you're going to receive a paycheck at the end of your life. And your paycheck, what you get, the wages, it's, it's death. There's another option. Or you can receive a free gift from God. It's not something you work for. It's that, that gift is Jesus Christ and, and, and what he did for you on the cross. And when you request for your sins to be wiped clean, he makes it as if you've never sinned and you receive the gift that you can't work for and that you don't deserve. It's the gift of eternal life. In the book of Revelation, Jesus himself speaks about this in the last few verses. And again, it's very clear that there will be a separation of all people at the very end. Listen to the words of Jesus, Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13. He says, yes, I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. I'm bringing my payroll with me. I'll pay all people in full for their life's work. I am the A to Z, the first and the final, the beginning and the conclusion. How blessed are those who wash their robes. The tree of life is theirs for good, and they'll walk through the gates to the city, but outside, for good, are the filthy curse, sorcerers, fornicators, murderers, idolaters, and those who love, all who love and live lies. I'm just telling you guys, it really doesn't get much more clear than that. And this is how the Bible ends. Heaven is the place where I'm going to be spending eternity. And uh, if you want to join me, I would love for you to be with me also. Four basic things I want you to remember today. Take these things home with them. First is this. Jesus is coming soon. We don't know when. It could be before the end of this day. It could be before you die. But all I have to say is that day will be amazing. Take home number two is this. is Jesus will repay us according to what we've done. You see, we will be rewarded according to our deeds. Things that we've unselfishly done for others. Things we've done for God. That's what our reward will be in heaven. And take home number three is this. is huge blessing is ahead for the forgiven, which is life forever in that city. You see, people who have accepted the free gift of salvation, they're forgiven and you will live in heaven forever. And then in heaven is when it's determined what that level of reward will be. And take home number four is this. Not everyone will make it in. And I have to say that part because it's true. But it will simply be by their choice. Only the forgiven make it in. It's those who choose forgiveness. So basically it's this about eternity. Heaven really, heaven and everything that it is, everything that would be experienced there revolves around two choices. One is receiving the forgiveness of Jesus, which is entrance into heaven. And the second is what I would just call making Jesus known. And that's what you do on this earth, which determines the level of your reward in heaven. Can it be any more clear? I want you to receive all God has for you. I want there to be no movement at this time. And would you just close your eyes and focus internally? 
Maybe you're here today and you've never really surrendered your life completely to Jesus. Possibly you've drifted from relationship with God. And, and if you want to know this Jesus that I talk about, and you want a new beginning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond by lifting your hand. Knowing this is that Jesus does love you more than you can imagine. He died for you so that you can have life, life to the full, life in eternity in heaven. Today's the day to launch that life. And if you want to be included in my closing prayer, surrender your life to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand when I count to three so I can connect my faith with yours. One, two, three. Lift your hands for me. Thank you. Who else? Make this decision to follow Jesus. Thank you. You can put hands down. Here's what I'd like for us to do. If you lifted your hand along with everyone else in this room, will you just please stand with me right now? I want you to stand with me. And, and if you lifted your hand, I'm just going to ask you to pray these words with me. Congregation, believers, I want you to pray these words also. Mean them from the bottom of your heart. Pray these words with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you're the son of God. Please forgive my sins. It's time for me to live. I choose heaven. So I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. Thank you for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen carefully. If you lifted your hand, you prayed that prayer and you meant it, um, what I want you to do is I want you to take the next card and mark on it the decision that you made today. Second thing I'd like for you to do is, is to uh, take that next card over there to next and that way I can, I can get some more information to you on some important next steps. And uh, another, another thing I, I like to challenge people with is to t- take the six-month challenge. The six-month challenge around here is something so many people have taken after giving their lives to Christ. It's, it's this. It's real simple. Just be in church for the next six months and watch what happens. Don't, don't miss a Sunday for any reason. Just don't miss. Be here. And watch what begins to happen. Watch the change in your life because, mark my word, you'll be able to look back at your life six months ago and say, wow, I have changed. God has changed a lot in me. I have hope and I have a future. That will happen. That will happen. And I believe it with all my heart. Church, I love you so much. I really, really do. And I just want to pray that God will just bless you in immense ways. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.